Just a quick content warning before we kick off today's episode. We're going to very briefly mention domestic violence and suicide in our discussions today. However, it's not going to be spoken about in depth and it's not the focus of this episode. If this is a tricky topic for you, please take care while listening to this episode. We've left some resources in the show notes and remember, you can always contact Lifeline anytime, any day on 13 11 14. I would like to acknowledge that the land on which this podcast is recorded on is the traditional lands of the Ghana people and that their cultural and heritage beliefs are still as important to them today. We strive towards reconciliation for all Australians and recognise that this starts by acknowledging, understanding and educating ourselves on the past in order to work towards making a better future. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. Hello and welcome to Bright Psych with Danny, where we talk mental health, learning and everything in between. Although we will be chatting about psychology and well-being, the content of this podcast is for educational purposes only and does not constitute therapy, nor is this podcast intended as a substitute for professional mental health or medical care. Please seek assistance from a qualified mental health or medical professional to obtain advice or psychological treatment that is tailored to your specific needs. During this episode, we will be exploring masculine gender stereotypes and its impact on mental health. As we discuss this topic, we're going to be using the terms men and boys to refer to cisgender boys and men. We'll be using these terms for clarity and to address common societal perceptions. However, it's essential to emphasize that our intention is not to exclude or offend individuals who identify differently. We want to acknowledge that we understand and respect that gender is not binary. Here at Brighton Secondary School, we recognize that gender is fluid and that individuals may identify beyond the traditional concepts of men and boys. What makes a man a man? If I asked you to describe a typical or traditional masculine man, what are some of the stereotypes that might spring to mind? How might some of these stereotypes about masculinity impact young boys and men growing up in today's society? And how does this impact them trying to figure out their place in the world? What are some of those masculine stereotypes that come to mind? Stoic, solid, just like having that even temperament at all times and in all situations. Like that idea of being in control, I suppose is, it seems like a masculine trait. Like a, a deeper voice or a self-assured and confident, tough, the sporty guys, those sorts of things. The calmness under pressure or calmness in the face of adversity. Gender roles are a societal construct of rules and they are rules that people don't ever really spell out for you. They are just generally the way that people subconsciously conform to fit in. And these gender roles or stereotypes have developed over a long period of time in different cultures. Conformity is something that we all do as people in a society, and it actually goes well beyond gender roles. Think of this situation. When you step into a lift, you tend to face towards the front of the lift, you know, where the doors open and close. Nobody ever actually tells us that this is how you're meant to do it, but people do it anyway. Why is it though? It's probably because you'd feel uncomfortable if you didn't. If you walked into a lift with five other people in there and they're all facing the front and you walk in and you just face them instead of facing the front of the lift, it's gonna get kind of weird pretty quickly. Gender roles are kind of the same. You have a list of behaviors that are associated with the gender that you align with. For example, boys don't cry. That's a gender stereotype. And it can actually lead to boys and men repressing their emotions instead of processing them in healthier ways. Are there any gender stereotypes that you've noticed that you felt pressured to take on? I think definitely the sort of independence and self-reliance, difficulty to express emotions, um, being open and those sorts of things. I suppose, like the societal pressures of what masculinity is, is that emotions take a back seat unless they're masculine emotions, particularly sadness is a weakness. Uh, anything other than anger is often a weakness and what we picked up upon significantly. I've had several times where it's 
significantly impacted how other people view me. Yeah, I mean, I think as a queer man, definitely quite a bit in terms of almost masking to fit in, you know, acting heterosexual and things like that. And I guess there's probably an element in that of both conscious and unconscious adopting of those traits to sort of feel safe and protected and not exposed and things like that. Today, we're going to be discussing masculine gender stereotypes. We'll delve into the research on how this impacts mental health, emotional expression, behaviour and interpersonal relationships. We have the pleasure of engaging in a conversation with Matt Hubber, one of Brighton Secondary School's youth workers. He will be sharing his insights and first-hand experiences from his work with teenage boys and young men. We're also going to be joined by Josh Glover, lead facilitator and trainer at a preventative mental health charity called The Man Cave. Josh will chat with us about how the program contributes to nurturing emotional intelligence and fostering a culture of positive masculinity amongst teenage boys. We will explore what this means for parents who are raising young boys and men, and we'll delve into strategies for cultivating positive masculinity that empowers boys and men to embrace their emotions, practice compassion, and ask for help when they might need it. Where do gender stereotypes come from, though? Interestingly, they're not something that's inherent or genetic. Rather, it's a product of something called socialisation or learnt behaviour. Traditionally, in Western culture, young boys and girls are raised and encouraged to engage in different styles of play or activities that fit in with their gender stereotypes. For example, when you walk into any department store, you can see the separate sections for the boys and for the girls, and they have their separate clothing, toys and games. And when you start to pay attention to it, you realise that this is everywhere. It's in how we speak, interact and engage with others from day to day. It's in how we see products marketed towards particular genders. We can also see those gender norms and stereotypes in movies and TV shows and on social media. These are just a few examples of a sociological construct from where people learn and align their gender roles and norms from. We're not labelling this as good or bad, it's just the way that things are. How does this all link to masculinity though? Well, masculinity, it isn't just one thing. It's open-ended, but basically it refers to a set of social expectations of being a man in a particular country or culture. We see lots of stereotypical concepts of what being a man is about, and every culture or society has a different perception of this. In some cultures, men may hold hands in public as a sign of brotherliness. In others, robes and skirts are worn by men. It doesn't make it not masculine, it's just a different perception of what makes a man a man. In Western society, our version of masculinity is different again. We might see things like being strong, independent, self-reliant, in control and not showing emotional vulnerabilities as things that are inherently masculine. None of these characteristics are inherently good or bad. However, there has been some research finding that adherence to traditional masculine norms can be linked to decreased help-seeking behaviours for both physical and mental health conditions, as well as increased difficulties with emotional regulation. But how can this become problematic? I mean, there's nothing wrong with being a blokey bloke, you know, kicking a footy around, playing contact sports, getting rowdy and having a laugh and a good time. But how is it that conforming to traditional masculine stereotypes leads to poor physical and mental health outcomes? And how does this impact broader issues that boys and men can face, such as difficulties with impulsivity, relationships and interpersonal conflict? Studies from the World Health Organization have shown that in Australia, males are at a greater risk of dying from suicide than females. Numerous studies have shown that men are less likely to seek treatment from mental health and medical professionals and have a lower rate of overall help-seeking behaviour. On top of this, men are twice as likely as women to have gone 12 months or more without visiting a healthcare professional, despite higher levels of health concerns from some of the leading causes of death, such as heart disease, stroke, cancer, and diabetes. 
Research has found that young men are more likely than same-aged women to perceive themselves as invulnerable and tend to fail to adopt health-promoting behaviours and instead engage in more risk-taking behaviours. It's been found that there may be a variety of reasons why men tend to avoid seeking treatment for mental health concerns. The problem appears to be varied though. There may be factors within the healthcare system that create a bit of a disconnect between the communication of men who have concerns about their mental health and the healthcare professionals themselves. Other studies have indicated that men may also feel considerable shame in seeking appropriate treatment for mental health problems. The shame that some men feel in asking for support has also been thought to impact their confidence in their ability to express in words what is going on emotionally for them. Qualitative research has indicated that men can make judgments about themselves as to whether or not they should even ask for help at all. Men who are struggling with health concerns have been found to sometimes downplay the significance of their difficulties in their day-to-day life. You know, that mentality of, she'll be right, and just kind of pushing through and ignoring the suffering. So let's come back to gender stereotypes. Some research has focused on conformity to masculine stereotypes as one of the key drivers of health service use. If we look into those masculine gender stereotypes we mentioned before, you know, being strong, being independent, being in control, not showing emotional vulnerabilities, self-reliance, someone who encapsulates all of these traits might have a hard time actively seeking help. They might worry about appearing incompetent, dependent on others or vulnerable. They may even see these things as weaknesses, and this misperception can come at a cost to men. Various studies have found that men who endorse traditional masculine stereotypes, especially self-reliance, had poorer mental health, higher rates of suicidal thinking, and a lack of engagement in activities that promote overall health. A 2019 study from the University of Melbourne investigated the relationship between masculine norms, mental health, and health literacy. That is, the ability to understand and use healthcare information to make appropriate decisions about where to seek treatment from. They surveyed over 8,000 Australian men aged between 18 and 55 years and measured their conformity to masculine norms. The questionnaire that they used to measure this asked things about masculine stereotypes, including the importance of social status, dominance, and emotional control, the salience of heterosexual presentation and of playboy status, the salience of power over women, the primacy of work, the endorsement of risk-taking, the importance of self-reliance, the endorsement of violence as a solution to problems, and the importance of winning. The participants were also asked to fill in a questionnaire to look at whether they had symptoms that were consistent with a diagnosis of a moderate or severe depressive disorder. They measured each participant's level of health literacy and looked at their lived experience of understanding, accessing and using health information from health services. They also gathered a bunch of other information about age, education, employment, socioeconomic and relationship status and factored this into their research too. What this study found was that men who endorsed high overall levels of conformity to these masculine gender stereotypes typically reported lower levels of health literacy. Further to this, men who demonstrated moderate to severe scores of depression also tended to report lower levels of health literacy. If we unpack this even further, they also found that men who reported higher levels of conformity to traditional masculine ideals were more likely to report that they feel unable to engage with or be understood by healthcare providers. This kind of poses a problem that is twofold. Firstly, researchers believe that men who displayed increased conformity to masculine norms may hold this perception that to seek help is a form of weakness, and that kind of goes against the expectations of male strength, independence, and self-reliance. And then secondly, health professionals may unconsciously reinforce to their male clients the idea that getting through hardship without complaints or showing their feelings is a normal thing. And if we put this into context, it can do more harm than good, particularly when studies have shown that men are more likely than women to avoid treatment until their mental health is at a critical point.
let's take a moment now to recap what we've covered so far. We understand that there are gender norms or stereotypes that vary from culture to culture. And in isolation, a lot of these stereotypes aren't good or bad. They just are what they are. In Western culture, numerous studies have found that strong adherence to some traditional masculine stereotypes can negatively impact help-seeking behaviour and both mental and physical health. It's hypothesised that this might be because those who have high conformity to masculine norms might hold this perception that seeking help might be a form of weakness. And also, health professionals might unconsciously reinforce these stereotypes of stoicism. Further to this, conformity to problematic masculine stereotypes like dominance, power over women, and the endorsement of violence as a solution to problems has actually been linked with higher levels of risk-taking behaviours like drug and alcohol misuse, reckless driving, and harm towards others. We're joined now by Matt Hover. He's one of our Brighton Secondary School youth workers. He works with year 10s, 11s and 12s at our school who need some extra support for well-being. The basis of my role is around supporting young people to address the barriers in their life and, and developing a bit of a plan to work towards their goals. So for some of those young people, it's all about the learning and developing learning plans and study plans and being more efficient with their learning. For some young people, it's you know, addressing those mental health and well-being concerns right up to some of that really complex work that happens out in the community. I guess it's quite as look as a challenging role but and it can be hectic at times but it's really really fulfilling spending time with young people and seeing them develop their own plan and, and develop their own skills to be more independent here he is speaking about some of his observations on the impacts that masculine gender stereotypes might have on emotional well-being it certainly feels like there's been a bit of a shift towards particularly young men accumulating things accumulating wealth I think some of that has come from, I guess, building wealth through Bitcoin and NFTs, and that's shifting into now uh, doing relationships and, and people as things to accumulate. So I guess what we see as a consequence of that is young men losing a sense of connection to themselves and others rather than focusing on those emotions and those, those feeling things, just, just chasing those numbers, whether it's wealth or relationships or other things in their life that while there might be admirable pursuits, are not necessarily the essence of life. Matt has noticed that a focus on dominance, wealth and power could possibly come with a price of losing connections with family and friends and mental health. There really is a sense of loss and, and hopelessness and not knowing how to reach out and build those connections, filling that void with just work, 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 and not having a real sense of satisfaction or success. Despite this, though, Matt has also noticed a general shift towards more positive emotional connections amongst teenage boys. Certainly some things that I've seen over the journey is young men in particular seeking out affection from each other and towards each other. Certainly something you see in the yard at school is in the mornings, boys giving each other a hug, a high five or fist pumps and those sorts of things. And I know some of the language towards each other is I love you, bro, and those sorts of things, which is really nice to hear. And I'm sure there's a level of sarcasm in that, but it's happening and it's really nice to see it happening. And you can see the body language in the boys when they see each other and greet each other and spend time with each other, that it is becoming much more natural and giving each other a space to be vulnerable with each other. It's, it's really pleasing to see. They're showing in their body language with each other that they want to be vulnerable, they want to be affectionate, they want people to show that they care and be validated. And as adults, there are some simple things that we can do to help this emotional intelligence continue to trend in the right direction. As an adult, and as a, whether it's a parent or an important adult in a young person's life, is just be present and making sure the young person knows that you are present and there for them. Young people are going to make mistakes and that's that's a human behaviour. We know that and we, what we know about the brain development of young men in particular is they're going to do silly things as we all do. And allowing young men to make mistakes, keep them accountable and I think that's really important but understanding that they can make mistakes and you're still going to be there for them is absolutely crucial. And rather than using that as an opportunity to put the young men down, is it's a really good opportunity to, to guide them towards more positive behaviour 
it's an opportunity to learn and reflect. And again, if you're using your time together to, to be vulnerable and promote open communication, then when those mistakes are made, it's a really good opportunity to reflect on that and think about how you can do it better next time. We need to make space to allow for vulnerabilities and to guide teenage boys and young men to make mistakes and learn from them and to just be there for them. I think in my head, it's actually remarkable how little encouragement young men need to get past that initial stage of feeling vulnerable. So I think there's still that the status quo still remains quite often that, you know, we're men and we don't need help. It really, really doesn't take much effort to get past that in my experience. And it's been really, really pleasing that a little bit of, and again, I say it persistent, consistent, predictable, it, it works, is being there, being present and being a little bit relentless in, I'm here for you, what you need. Those, those doors open up really, really quickly in my experience. Even the hardest of young men, they want to be heard. They want someone to talk to. They want someone to listen. And if you provide that to them, they will talk. Another great strength that Matt has seen amongst teenage boys recently is the eagerness to be there for one another. And this comes with teaching them when it might be time to take a step back too. Sometimes as young men, we feel like we are meant to have all the answers. If we don't have the answers, that means we're a failure. Or if we have a friend in a jam, there's expectation that we're there for the boys all the time. And no matter what, you're going to be there for them. And sometimes you're just not in a space where you can be stoic, you can be strong. Sometimes you need to say, actually, I'm going to call somebody else to help here because I don't have the answers. And that's a really tricky thing to do. There are times where you are strong and you are able to be there for your friends. So how do you best look after your friends? And understand your limits of your skills and your knowledge. So knowing when to say, actually, this is beyond me. I need to go and talk to a parent. I need to go and talk to a friend. I need to go and talk to my, my footy coach or whoever it is to say, this is bigger than me, but I care enough about you that I want to share this with somebody else. And that can be a really tricky thing to do at times because young men can be really, really careful with being vulnerable and will say things like, don't tell anyone, don't share this with anyone. This is this is between you and I. And that's a really heavy burden to carry. And if you're already feeling out of your depth, then that becomes a whole thing for you as well. So learning when to say, no, this is not for me. This is for somebody else who has the skills and knowledge to share this together. And ultimately, as adults of influence in young boys and men's lives, it is our role to help provide them with the skills they need to find their place in the world. One of the common themes that, that comes through and has come through through all of my work that I've done over the last 10 or 15 years is young people are really searching for a sense of purpose and trying to find, the, I guess, their place in the world. And that's that really has been the basis for a lot of my work and a lot of the work that we do with young people is rather than telling them what to do is teaching them how to do it themselves. And that's that's part of been a really pleasing aspect of my role is seeing young people develop that and seeing the joy they get within themselves to eventually not need that support and move away. It's, it's kind of cool. Teaching teenage boys and young men these skills is something that mental health practitioners all strive towards. Programs that teach healthy masculinity and emotional intelligence are paving the way in men's mental health to try and help teenage boys become men who are able to seek help when they need it and to help them form healthy, meaningful connections with others in their lives. We have been lucky enough to interview a lead facilitator and trainer from a program called The Man Cave. The evidence-based program is currently run throughout schools in Victoria and New South Wales, where they have worked with thousands of teenage boys. They have the vision to create a world where every young man has healthy relationships, reaches his full potential, and contributes to his community. The Man Cave, we're a preventative mental health and emotional intelligence organization, particularly focused around teenage boys and the masculine experience. And basically, we are trying to give young boys the tools, the resources and opportunities to be able to be their true selves. And the hope is that in them having the freedom to be their true selves, they will be able to build respectful relationships and be the young men that their communities need them to be so that they can 
live and contribute to a flourishing world is the idea. Unfortunately, the programs that the Man Cave run have not yet been able to make their way to South Australia. However, some of our staff here at Brighton Secondary School are engaging in the Man Cave's training academy. This is going to assist our wellbeing team to build their skills by learning specific techniques and tools based on the Man Cave's rite of passage framework. We're going to apply these skills to help engage our young boys and men to build their emotional intelligence and prepare them for the world that waits for them beyond school. My name is Josh Glover. I go by the name Joshy. I am 26 years old, one of the senior facilitators and trainers at the Man Cave. So what that looks like, partly I'm working with the young people themselves, taking them through our programs around healthy masculinity, but I'm also working with our team of facilitators, helping them grow in their facilitation ability and training and well-being, all that sort of stuff. So what that looks like, partly I'm working with the young people themselves, taking them through our programs around healthy masculinity, but I'm also working with our team of facilitators, helping them grow in their facilitation ability and training and well-being, all that sort of stuff. Today, Joshi is going to give us an insider's perspective on what it's like to work with teenage boys and young men on building healthy masculinity and emotional intelligence. In doing so, we'll discover what parents and carers can do to also assist with helping teenage boys and young men to build emotional intelligence and, in turn, promote mental health and well-being. Yeah, I got into this work two and a half years ago. I found out about the Man Cave and didn't know that an organization like us exists. Mm-hmm. It was an amazing organization by the sounds of it. And for me, like I grew up with three, I've got three sisters and yeah. a mum. And so for me, I had been very connected to people who were emotionally articulate and highly emotionally intelligent and had really benefited from that. And I'd also, I also went to an all boys school. So I felt the other side of relationships where people couldn't really, yeah, weren't for so many reasons, there were so many barriers to be able to be true to themselves and their full emotional experience. For me, I felt this real need and desire to kind of be working with young men and helping them to be able to like live into the full version of themselves that comes with being able to feel all of our feelings, no matter how scary they are. Joshi has directly observed in his work with teenage boys some of the challenges they can face due to society's expectations and stereotypes of what it is to be a masculine man. I think the historical stereotype of men don't cry, don't show emotion, was there for, you know, my parents and grandparents' generation, but it's still there with teenage boys. There's still this strong sense of not showing emotion and if you were to show emotion, you're weak and you're not a real man or not not masculine enough. There's also this fascinating other layer that's there, which is be funny. Don't be a killjoy. Um, yeah. Make sure that you're keeping the vibes high. And my experience at school, going to an all boys school was, you don't want to open up about what's going on because you're just going to bring the mood down. And that sucks. And yeah. so that, and, that, and the third one, which is really there and has increased more and more, is around the physical expectations to be big and jacked and all the pressure of gym culture and TikTok and all that. And the funny thing is with those, those three and other pressures combined, what you get left with is a whole bunch of young people who, when they go through struggles, don't talk about it and therefore feel isolated, feel like they're the only ones going through it all. So they have to be tough so they don't talk about it. They don't want to bring the mood down so they don't talk about it. And then they just feel deeply isolated in that whole experience. And and they will be going through their day-to-day lives next to all these people who have these big smiles on their faces and they have no idea that most of them go home or underneath have these kind of feelings of isolation and sadness and anxiety, which is natural and human, but they don't share about it. This is where the Man Cave deploy their strategies to encourage teenage boys to be vulnerable and safe at the same time. I guess one place to begin is that our programs, by working with a group of people with a range of experiences, there's this incredible normalization of 
whatever comes up, like whatever yeah. you're feeling or experiencing is shared with others in the group. Yeah. And we always, we begin where young people, young boys, but also all of us love to begin, which is with play and fun yeah. and just connecting. And the, the kind of starting point of our day is trying to connect with these young people on a human level with a bit of fun, with a bit of competition to get people comfortable and let their uniqueness come out <laughs> and their uniqueness just be expressed from there. The thing that will invite young people to be themselves is if us as facilitators show up as ourselves. Yeah. So we tell stories and we share our genuine and authentic feelings and experiences about things. Yeah. We have a saying, which is that we would never ask the young people to do anything that we wouldn't be willing to do ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so every step of our day is leading by example and going first. And in doing so, just inviting them into a way of being, a way of speaking, a way of sharing stories that might just be a little bit different to what they're used to. But by us going first, we're saying, hey, it's okay. It's all right. Yeah. Normalizing Um, that experience. Normalizing that experience. Yeah. Yeah. And I think then the other thing that feels really important is we we try and be really honest about what's going on uh, in the group and in our own world. The Man Cave promotes building meaningful connections and facilitators are leading by example, which is how they can start to get teenage boys on board to tap into the gutsier stuff and to start to explore the deeper things going on in their lives. Ultimately, we can start to foster healthier masculinity by allowing teenagers to have the time to have fun and to be the larrikin and to help boys give themselves permission to still connect with emotional vulnerabilities. And the thing is, teenage boys in particular feel very comfortable talking about the fun and light and playful things in their lives. And the reality is, is that life has thrown these young people a whole bunch of curveballs and a whole bunch of spanners. And as I said before, they don't have the opportunity to share about it often. Mm. And so we, by kind of building this safety, building this connection, building a, a safe container for them to have the conversations, and then by going first, invite them into an opportunity to actually speak about that whole range of experiences they're going through. Yeah, I guess an analogy that we use in our workshop, which a lot of the workshop pivots around is this idea that within each of us as people, we have a glass jar Okay. and things in life will happen that end up being rocks that, that land in that jar. So you might, you might get experienced bullying and gosh, that's a rock in that jar. And then your grandparent passes away and that's really hard. That's a big rock in that jar and you can't get to sleep. That's a rock in the jar. There's pressures and all these things build up, you know, schoolwork and exams, they're things that build up. And as the rocks in our jar build up, the jar ends up breaking or can break. Yeah. And the, a broken jar looks like serious mental health challenges, anger leading to violence, isolation, or in its worst cases, you know, self-harm or suicide. And that's a real reality for particularly young men. The stats around suicide are are tragic in Australia. It is. And so our workshop is about saying, cool, we're going to give you a tool to take rocks out of that jar. And you don't have to use it, but I want you to know that when life throws you rocks, you have the capacity and ability to take them out of the jar. And that tool is simply a check-in. It's a way of being able to, in a contained, clear way, share the answer to the question, how are you really going? Not just the light stuff, but what is going on for you that you feel isolated in that you can't speak about? By young people being able to have that real conversation with their mates and realize in that conversation, hold on a second, I'm not alone. And also this isn't as big as I thought it was. Suddenly they feel lighter and feel like they have a way of actually taking the rocks out of the jar 
and feeling, I guess, a little bit of the lightness and space in life, you know? Wow. Yeah. Well, the, the thing when a boy will share powerfully in our workshops often will ask, you know, what's it like to have just shared that? And the thing we often hear people say is, oh, I just feel lighter. Oh, weight off my shoulders or, oh, rock out of my jar. Like I've just, it's just a sense of I'm not carrying all of this weight alone anymore. The framework that the Man Cave utilises for working with teenage boys is something called the Rite of Passage Framework. It is this framework that some of our wellbeing team will be trained up in here at Brighton Secondary School and will utilise it to help engage our teenage boys and help them to build their emotional intelligence. Every workshop we do, we really try and like shape around a framework called a rite of passage framework where basically almost every culture throughout history has had these frameworks and ways of acknowledging and taking young people through a journey into adulthood. For many societies, they were very gendered as your boys becoming men or girls becoming women. And the key tool, the strategy that sits underneath our workshops is we're trying to create a modern day rite of passage for young people. Now, a rite of passage will always be trying to prepare these young people for what their community will need of them when they grow up into adults. What our society is saying to young men is, we need you to be able to be emotionally articulate. We need you to be able to sit with your emotion and not let it burst out onto others in your life or onto yourself and cause harm. Yes. And so our workshops take young people through this journey where it's challenging. And the challenge is how do you sit with challenging emotion and also recognize that it's okay, that you're okay. And by giving them the opportunity to sit with that emotion, they're actually just building up that muscle of cool. This is, this is a way of me stepping into my maturity, my adult self, by actually being able to hold hold my emotion despite what the world is throwing me. Mm. It's about finding ways to combat those traditional masculine stereotypes in our young boys and men, where they can mature into a more helpful belief system, where they can feel comfortable talking about their emotions and asking for help when they need it. It's a belief where challenging and vulnerable emotions aren't pushed down and ignored, but rather embraced. Sitting with these uncomfortable emotions without it bursting onto others and having those real conversations and checking in with one another can help to normalise not being okay from time to time. And it can also challenge those unhelpful stereotypes that lead to poorer mental health outcomes for men. And when the strength in vulnerability is role modelled to others, it can start to have a snowball effect. And supportive relationships can start to thrive where it might not have happened previously. If you can share in the challenges of life with people, then you also get to share in the richness of life with people. And my feeling is that uh, a lot of men, we limit our ability actually to live the fullness of life because we're so scared of being in and expressing the harder side of life. So then the lightness just we also miss out on. By creating spaces where teenage boys can talk openly about the big stuff, they can start to challenge the masculine gender stereotypes in a bigger way amongst their social circles. Rather than always being strong or funny, they can start to influence and role model to their mates that it's okay to have time for depth and to check in on one another in a meaningful way. Two months ago, we worked with a school three times within one month and We had an amazing workshop, the first workshop. This was a group of year 11. So there was a level of maturity about them, but also like young people who had lived a bit of life, had some challenges as well. Mm -hmm. And there was one boy who had really powerfully opened up in the check-in in the first workshop. His name, I'll call him Tom. Tom was, had opened up really powerfully. And the next workshop, We were there and we were asking, you know, how's the last week been? Have you noticed anything different? 
And Tom looks over to his mate, who we'll call Richard, and he goes, oh, should we tell him about what happened on the weekend? And I was like, yeah, that'd be great. Tell us about what happened on the weekend, Tom. And he's like, okay, so, so, so it was my birthday on the weekend. Um, and there was a brief intermission as we sang him happy birthday. And uh, uh, he was like, yeah, we're at, we're at my mum's house and we're in the garage and we're all sitting around and, and me and Richard, we kind of jokingly said to the group, should we do what we did in the man cave? Because only two of them had been in the man cave workshop and the rest of them had no idea what they're talking about. And so they jokingly started doing a check-in, yeah? Or yeah. Tom checking in, uh, yeah, I'm loving this or whatever, you know, taking the yeah. piss. And what they didn't realize is that the rest of the group clearly had a curiosity and a hunger to actually have these real conversations. As check-ins often have, a bit of a snowball effect began. And suddenly, two hours later, they are deep in a check-in with a whole group of friends who have been together for the last five years but have never had this sort of depth of connection. Wow. And Tom sort of said, oh, at one point my mum walks in and we're all in tears hugging each other. Oh, <laughs> it was a beautiful, beautiful moment and such a powerful example of just like when a couple of people can be the role models, they can just like shape the culture of a group. Massively. And um, all it takes is just a little bit of courage to go first and to yeah. make it happen and to see the tool so beautifully taken and then used in the actual life of a teenage boy was really special. As Matt Hubber mentioned earlier in the episode, it's remarkable how little encouragement young men need to get past those initial stages of feeling vulnerable and to start to have those deeper conversations with one another. All it takes is a little push and a little courage. So what can parents and carers do to support young boys and men in challenging those unhelpful masculine stereotypes and to help promote healthy masculinity? I was thinking about to my experience as a teenage boy and what I felt were the moments I could connect with um, my parents and the moments I couldn't. And I think firstly, it's what was super important is just to be able to have agency to come to my parents and my own time and mm -hmm. to know or when I was ready. So to know that they're there and that I can come to them if I need to and to have that invitation there, but not feel this kind of prying questioning that would kind of pull me into a space where when I wasn't ready to share. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then I was reflecting also, I think one thing that can be a really wonderful avenue to depths of connection or to, because, you know, I'm aware that a lot of teenage, you know, do with it every week, teenage boys who just give you a very kind of shallow, very surface level response to how they're going. Mm -hmm. And I can imagine it'd be really hard for a lot of parents who are like, I want to know what's going on. How are you yes. doing? I'm, I love you. I'm here to support you. And I just don't know. And so for me, and you know, this is what we're trying to do in workshops as well, is just like maybe the interaction doesn't begin with the deep, how are you going? Mm -hmm. The interaction begins with a bit of play, you know, yeah. a bit of just hanging out, a bit of watching sport together or what would it look like to have a go gaming with with a teenage boy or yeah. get, getting involved in their world and then building up that safety so that they can then feel safe enough and comfortable enough to share. We have a phrase that we use at work, which is resistance is a need not being met. Mm. So when young people are resisting, when you're only getting one word answer, it's not that there's not depth in teenage boys. Oh boy, there's depth in teenage boys. And I say yeah. that as someone who was one, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, the reason for the lack of share is because there's a need that's not being met. Maybe they don't feel safe. Maybe they, uh, uh, maybe they struggle to articulate it, whatever. There's a whole bunch of things. But if we can help meet them in their world, and build up that safety first, then it just becomes a lot easier to have the conversation. The other thing to note is learn and find out what is 
your conversation to have with a young person? And what is the conversation for another adult in their life to have with a young person, with a boy? So the role of mentors who aren't related to them, mm. you know, I think about like when I was, when I was a teenager, I was, I was really involved in the church actually. And I had a whole bunch of youth leaders who could connect to me and tell me things that my mom and dad had probably been telling me for years. Yeah. <laughs> it didn't matter though. I needed nah. to hear it from them. I needed to yeah. hear it from them. I would say that one of the gifts that my parents gave me is actually knowing, and particularly my mum, knowing what was hers to share with me, what was our conversation to have, and then also what she recognised other adults in my life, maybe particularly other adult men in my life, could offer me and share mm -hmm. with me. So just recognising that, and I would recommend, and I know it's really hard, but in whatever way is possible, wrapping that community around a young boy not just mm. trying to be the, the be-all and end-all for a teenage boy, but recognising the gifts that community and the whole village have to share for a young yeah. person. Matt Hubber, our youth worker here at Brighton that we heard from earlier, resonates with this sentiment. When he heads home from his role as a youth worker at work, he transitions into his role as a parent, donning a different hat. Here he is discussing the two roles he has and how he decides which hat to wear in different situations. Yeah, it's a really interesting point and an interesting question because as practitioners and youth workers and those, those sorts of supporting roles, we feel like we quite often have the answers and for the answers we have, we were able to work it out. And then you talk to other people in similar roles to myself. When you go home, sometimes the rules change and emotions play a significant factor in the way that we respond to our, our young people. When, I guess as a father, I sometimes it's a challenging thing to know which hat to put on because instincts sort of take over quite often. And sometimes we just need to step back and say, oh, I'm not the right person for this conversation, which can be a really challenging thing to do because as a parent, we feel like we need to be there and have all the answers and that's just not practical. So for someone who has a background in working with young people, understand that I don't always have the skills and I don't always have the knowledge. So for parents that don't have that background, parenting is a really, really challenging thing. So sometimes we need to think about, am I the right person? Is it the right time for the conversation? Or do I have part of this conversation and allow someone else to take over? And again, that's, that's a really challenging thing to know where to draw the line in the sand and how do I hand that over to someone? Then how do I take that back? So I guess something to keep in the back of your mind as we're having these conversations with our, with our young people and with our, with our children is, am I adding to the solution or are we not making any progress here? And I think sometimes that's, that's the point where we need to step back and say, well, can I approach this differently? Or is this, is this the time where I need to hand over to somebody else? Is, this is no longer being productive and in fact, probably going a little bit backwards. So, okay, who else do I have out there? And it, and it might be the youth work at school, it might be the psychologist, it might be the coach, it might be uncle or auntie or somebody who has has a different perspective or a less attached emotional I guess involvement in what's happening or just a different perspective. Joshi also points out how crucial it is to create a feeling of safety and trust by respecting confidentiality. I remember one time I had a, a secret that was I was really ashamed of that I ended up sharing with my mum when I was a teenage boy mm -hmm. and um, a couple weeks later I mentioned it in passing to my dad and he had no clue what I was talking about and I had assumed that my mum had told my dad mm -hmm. and I went to her and I said, oh, did, did you tell dad this? And she's like, no way, you shared that with me. That was not for me to share with anyone else. And I remember feeling so touched by how safe I felt in that relationship that she respected the confidentiality there. And I think for, yeah, for me, just an offering to parents is just like respect your young people's or your kids or boys' confidentiality and recognize actually that a lot of what will make them feel safe is how much they feel like you will treasure the gift of their sharing. 
And yeah, that would just be one offering is just to be really thoughtful as a parent of who you speak to and how you speak to them about what your boy or your young teenager is going through. I've said this a million times over the years, but relationships are everything. Building connections with our young people is how we can break down barriers and brick walls and start to see meaningful and positive change. Like Joshi was saying, building connections with teenage boys doesn't begin with the deep stuff. It's about starting like the Man Cave program does, with a bit of play. Getting on their level, taking an interest in what they're interested in and getting involved in their world. Slowly building up that safety in connection so that they can begin to feel comfortable enough to share. It is also about not asking our young people to do something that we wouldn't do ourselves. What do we mean by this? Role model talking openly about our emotions. Outdated phrases like boys don't cry can stifle emotional growth and intelligence. Start to label and role model your own emotions in conversations about how your day was at the dinner table. Simple ways of acknowledging, recognizing and validating your own emotions. For example, I was annoyed because Sarah didn't listen to what I had to say at work today. It's really simple and it might even feel a bit weird to begin with, but trust me, it starts to feel more natural over time. We've shouted out to this previous episode before, but if you want to learn more about this style of connecting with people, listen to episode three, The Power of Validation. By role modeling and building on these emotional skills, it can slowly help young people to become more aware of their own emotions and normalize their internal experiences. As teens open up, it's about respecting what they have confided with you and allowing them to express what they have expressed in a safe space that's free of judgment. And as we just heard from Joshi and from Matt, learn and find out what is your conversation to have with a young person and what is the conversation for another adult to have with that same young person. You might not be able to have a specific conversation with them and knowing that that's not you. It's just that they need to have it with another trusted adult like a coach or a teacher or mentor. A huge thank you to our guest today, Josh Glover from The Man Cave. As always, we have left you with resources in the show notes if you wanted to find out more about what we've spoken about today. I'm Danny O'Connor. Thanks for listening. I'll catch you next time.